Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only tiefling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal. And Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Faro, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at poolmedia.podbean.com. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We're blissfully recording in the middle of a beautiful weekend day, which is unusual. All three of us are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and awake, so it's nice to go ahead and see my favorite two co-hosts in the world right here with me today, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller. How are you this fine Saturday afternoon? Excellent. Coming off of playing a couple of great games this week, actually ran a play game Wednesday live in person at my local game shop, the City of Games. I had a new player to the system there, had a couple old friends come in and play, and it was brilliant. It was a continuation of the one shot I ran at Drinking and Dragon. 
Dragons. That was night one. This was day, the day, the morning after and all of that day, which is part of the One Shot series. The next evolution will actually be about two weeks later. Uh, that'll cover some time. So I'm covering the advancement of the apocalypse. So nice. a lot of fun going into that. And today had a brilliant conclusion to a major battle sequence with my Barstock campaign. Nice, nice light, light theme, the uh, the apocalypse and all that. So that's oh. Yeah, yeah. Always a good time. Uh, yeah. How about you, Mr. Myers? How are you today? Greetings from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm abroad this week, and it's pretty fantastic. Trish and I found an amazing little walk this morning at a place called Northwoods Arboretum in Green Bay, and it's neat because it's like an old arboretum that you can clearly tell got left to go to crap or not really get yeah. taken care of. So it's got a mix of old signs, new signs, and some signs in transition, and new paths cut through it, and new saplings planted for trees that are being added. And it was really cool in a walk, and we're hoping to come back active it every year or a couple of years and we're going to have to keep going back there and see how it changes because it was a really good time. Nice. Excellent. So today we're kind of going off script a little bit or out of rotation a little bit because the three of us were literally sitting down and just having a conversation and just we chat. wanted to go ahead and make sure we captured it because we realized that this is something that we hear a lot of in the TTRPG space and we wanted to we wanted to talk about it a little bit about the whole concept of storyteller imposter syndrome and the in an environment where there are very public, very good storytellers. Right. Is that in some way contributing to what is what has always been and is getting worse? Storyteller shortage. And getting people to run games is becoming more difficult. So we wanted to so we kind of wanted to sit down and talk about this a little bit and lean into it a little bit and talk about how even among the three of us, three very experienced storytellers, the whole genesis of this conversation is that we realize that on some level we're all intimidated on for each other because we all have very different styles and uh, try to go ahead and translate that to the table. Right. And even us, we keep constantly cutting ourselves down and being like, we're almost professional storytellers now, yeah. or we're nearly as good as those guys. I think that's a really keen observation, Glenn, is that that all of us storytellers go with this, even no matter how long we've been doing it. Running games is on some level is hard, right? Doing what we do is difficult. And there's always that fear in the back of your head that what if what I'm going to be doing at the table today, is that going to translate to my players? Is that I'm responsible to my players to make sure that they have fun on some level. And so that's, that can be very intimidating. So yeah, am I going to suck? What about, yeah, exactly. If I, if this game sucks, is it my fault? There's that whole, there's that whole fear about it. What do you think about that? So I think I'll start with some of the best DM advice I'd ever, that sounded weird. The best damn device advice. <laughs> the DM best advice. damn advice I ever got. No, the best DM advice I ever had regarding the type of question or this concern came very recently in time. It was just a few months ago when we were speaking with Beth the Bard, when I was so nervous about how to become a professional DM that yeah. I asked a professional DM, like, how do you do that? And she said, you just ask people to pay you. Done. And that advice translated to the table, not in a professional setting to get paid as a job type of thing, really, to me, follows through. If you want to be a DM, just ask people to play at your table. Yeah. It, it really can't start that easily. And we're going to go into some tips, techniques, things that we do, and also personalize a bit and talk about our feelings and how we came up in this process and every time we've come against it, because mm -hmm. it's all a learning process. Yeah. And there are always going to be situations where you're nervous. I've been singing in front of people for years, but I had an experience where I was terrified of singing in front of people and didn't for 10 years. I was miserable because I wasn't doing a thing I loved for a long period of time because of a fear I had, almost right to here. the point of phobia. And then I said, 
you're really good at this thing. Just do it anyway. And I had to find techniques. Not all of them were good. I'm not going to give people <laughs> that advice to as a means to get over a fear, by the way. But but eventually I got to the point where I didn't need those crutches to be able to do the thing. Just the love of doing the thing was enough to carry me through. And again, all lessons that very easily translate to what we're talking about here is how to be a DM and lessen the anxiety, lessen the nervousness about it, and still have fun and not make it a chore. And that's really what I want to focus on is really help talking about and by way of talking about helping people who are in a position where, man, I would really like to do this or I'd like to be in more games, but there's just not enough people who want to do this. My local shop is always asking, will somebody run a game? There are all kinds of people that are asking, looking for a game, looking for a game. What we don't have is enough people willing to run a game. So for me, it's about just doing a thing, having the time, taking the time and do the thing. And it gets easier and better the more you do it. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's where I want to start with like my list of things that you can do to become a more effective storyteller. The very first thing that I would suggest is do the thing, right? Because the more, and I know that's kind of the easy thing, getting over the hump and starting storytelling is sometimes the difficult part. And what I can absolutely tell you is that the more you do it and the more that you do it in a way that you're comfortable with, and we'll get into various storytelling styles because that's how the three of us opened up this conversation conversation to begin with. But the more that you do it and the more that you do it in a way that you find comfortable and when you find that way that you find most comfortable, the more you do it, the better you're going to get and the more comfortable you're going to feel doing it because you're going to realize just how well the things that you want to bring to the table relate to your players. Players are hungry for storytelling. They are hungry to have somebody run that game. So if you do the thing of over time, your confidence will build and your games will absolutely get better. Can't agree with you more. And as we discuss it today, one of the things we also really want to do is we want to normalize the fact that scary as shit, to be honest, yeah. I am a professional storyteller and content creator, and it's scary yeah. to some degree. There's some nervousness. There's some butterflies. Every time I sit down right before my players join me either at the table yeah. physically or in the virtual space, every time, yeah. even when I'm running for my friends. Not as much, mind, as when I pick when it's full strangers. And that's okay. And we can talk about some strategies to help get past that. One of the first ones is realizing that, of course, you're nervous. You're about to enter a situation where you're expected to make sure everyone has fun. Yep. Let's debunk that right there. It's one's yeah. job at the table to help make sure everybody has fun. Exactly, yeah. And you're worried that you're going to forget part of what you already planned or that they're going to go in a direction you weren't prepared for and you're not going to know what to do and you're going to be sitting there like a deer with the headlights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Give you some advice even, on that too. We can even translate that directly to when we put together the Kickstarter that's currently running. We made a lot of choices about how to run this Kickstarter because if we're just being totally honest, we made a lot of decisions about the way that this Kickstarter run because we didn't want it to fail. We wanted to right. make sure that we were able to produce this product and get it in front of the people that wanted it. We played it a little safe on some levels. I don't think that we were scared, but we definitely played it safe on some levels in terms we were of scared. Like, how we I set for limits, it. how we put the packages together and stuff like that. I was nervous be, as hell like, that we were no. starting our first Kickstarter. I knew we could do it, yeah. but there was, was that we've yeah. never done this before. What yeah. if we launch our first Kickstarter and nobody backs us, which was <laughs> stupid because I know yeah. we have a couple of people that would back us almost anything we did. So it was dumb, exactly. but the fear was there. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. It was the same conversation that Lou and, had, uh, Lou and, and I had when we first started the podcast to begin with is that we were doing this because we wanted to go ahead and have fun. And we did the Kickstarter because we wanted to go ahead and produce that content. Spoiler alert, regardless of what the Kickstarter had done, that content was going to be seeing the light of day in some way or another. We True all story. knew that. And thankfully, the 
Kickstarter folks have supported us to go ahead and actually make that vision a reality in a very real and really great way. They've done it in a way that's allowed us to go ahead and add custom art to the book. They've done it in a way that has allowed us to go ahead and improve distribution quality, to bring in editors, to bring in everything like that. It's really going to be a better book because we went through Kickstarter than if we right. had just put it out on our own at the end. Of and the day, right? it gives us some serious validation because yeah. all of those fears were clearly unfounded. We funded in 72 yeah. hours, right? So yeah. we are doing this thing. We are good yeah. at it. Just sometimes yeah. we have to remind ourselves ourselves and you do too when you're running at your table yeah you wouldn't be sitting up there if you didn't have a story to tell exactly and like i was saying too lee Monique and i had the same conversation about this when we started the podcast what if nobody listens oh my gosh how horrible is that going to be and ultimately at the end of the day what we realized is that we wanted to have the conversations we wanted to talk the three of us wanted to go ahead and have these conversations and the fact that people did start to listen. The fact that people did give us that validation obviously led us to continuing down this path. We wanted to go ahead and keep having these conversations. We wanted to keep bringing content to the people that wanted to listen to it. And thank you all so much for putting that faith and trust in us. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, I guess the perfect way to start is to kind of explain where we come at this from and talk about our personal stories. And I'll start with mine. I started playing very young. Those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time have heard the story a few times. If you're new to the show with friends in my neighborhood, there's a small camp out where I did it and it wasn't a big deal there. But when I started playing with my friends, he wove this great story, did amazing explanations and descriptions of things and really knew his lore. And I was like, wow, this is impressive. And I'm like, I'll never be able to do that, but I'm having fun playing this one character. I got very good at this one character. And then I, then when I met my friend Marty, I had been playing for a while and I don't know exactly, I guess I should actually ask Marty what his gameplay experience was before those moments, but he started <laughs> DMing for me and he was immediately great at it from my perspective because mine as well. He, he just, was like a natural DM from the beginning almost. Yeah. He just started telling these fantastic tales and he started what we started playing was modules but he wove the modules together i'd found the thing where we got to place the various greyhawk modules on a map and he said this is where we the first one we did and this is the second and the third one this is going to be your home base and this is the town that you're going to do so as my characters advanced and i built a keep and so we started putting things between the modules so like we did a module and then we'd have three or four sessions or a week's worth of sessions doing things to get ready for for the next mission and go do something. And he just naturally did that. We used to play with G.I. Joe action figures and we built stories with action figures. We built stories with Legos, with Playmobil action figures, you name it. I remember uh, the G.I. Joes. We were, I got into it with y'all for a little while. We were even getting creative and adding battle wounds to figures we had duplicates of. Absolutely. And we would go out and buy like extra Cobras and extra grunts and such like that because we had the hero figs and then we had the soldiers and we would buy different things and we started buying all kinds of base sets. We just built these stories coming up. When he first said, I would like to play, would you DM for me? I was intimidated by that. So I started in a place that worked for me, which is I'm happy to do this, but we're going to do it in your world. So a lot of the groundwork was there. Glenn, not if you think this is a story you've heard before. I love the groundwork you've done. I've got stories I can tell, but I want to tell them in your story world. 
And so I'll just take it from here. It'll be my own spin. It'll be my own type of tale, but it's going to happen in this existing world. Sounds familiar. My Riff's FTA universe. Exactly. That is a way I have approached storytelling for a very long time. I did it with Marty back in the 80s and the early 90s in his game world. I did it with Benito in the 90s and into the 2000s with Alanis, where a number of the campaigns I ran during that time frame were adjuncts to his main Alanis campaign. And I filled in there. And then basically I got into the habit of creating shared universes. And that's where it really sparked for me is in any given world, there are more stories than just what we're telling. Sometimes it's a town you visited and an NPC. And then that town has a story that the main characters never deal with again. And I got very good at doing that. And that's what I really latched onto. And that's how I approached avoiding this feeling that, man, I'm never going to tell that story as, as well as somebody else. But I learned I didn't have to. If the world is good, I can make that happen. I had to jump in there really quick because as you were speaking, Lee Winnie, because some of it really like seriously resonated with me and I had a sudden epiphany of what if we created a world right? With a bunch of people who were willing to be storytellers. And slowly but surely, we're getting to know a lot of those people. And we combine some of our strategies to help develop the world. And we start with Josh's collaborative world building, where we create the world collaboratively, kind of like a little bit of Against the Dark Master, some other flavor. Every few sessions, you change who's running it. So everybody winds up being part of the creation of the world, both from the player seat and from the DMC. Yep. That could be neat. It could create a really cool world. Yeah. No. And I think on some level, that was always the intention with when we started running the, Can- the Candlekeep Mysteries is that, that all of us were going to run one every once in a while. But because I'm not good at running a can- running a canned module and from the very get-go it was like, oh crap, I just created a campaign. I, here I am running a pre-programmed mission, which has a defined beginning and a defined middle and a defined end. And yet I have already in the first 30 minutes created a campaign where world. Shit, what am I going to do now? So that very much kind of became like my own story and my own branch and everything like that. Um, Sometimes you can't turn it off. Right, exactly. Yeah, because I can't. I can't shut it off. Exactly. Like I, I always felt like in order to, for one, to be able to storytell in my style, which is again, like you said, a very collaborative storytelling style. I, I try to bring my players into the game with me. It's not me versus my players. It's not me and the players. It's all of us together telling a story. But even beyond that, I felt to bring the players in and let the players enjoy it and everything like that. I needed to go ahead and put a little bit of wrapping around that mission because the mission very much begins just oh yeah, you wind up going. Into the the extra dimensional space, and then that's the that's ninety eight percent of the mission right there. And I felt like there needed to be wrapping around that to go ahead and make it most effective. Just by doing what felt natural to me and what kind of came naturally, I boxed you guys out for being able to go ahead and run any other missions in that campaign. And that's just kind of the way that it was. And so that's why you guys on the actual play stuff are running your own campaigns because again, it's the same kind of you're taking your games and you're running them in your fashion. We were talking about this kind of ahead of time before we started the show here. Yeah, my style is very collaborative. And on on one level, that was very intimidating because I wasn't sure how my style would translate to the table for the players that were coming in. Lewanika, your style is very, it's full of political intrigue. It's full of... I was just going to say the other side of your style is then following you is very intimidating because I love your collaborative style and I've been yeah. trying to learn it and find ways to implement it into my own campaign, but it's not normal yep. for me 
yet. So I flub it all the time. Sure. And so that creates from the opposite, seeing the way that you run it, that I'm like, oh my God, super intimidated because I'm trying to bring it in. But what if I do it wrong? Yeah. If I can, Glenn, to follow yeah. you, when I definitely used it, and I thought to pretty good effect, players will have to let me know, will have to respond and let us know. But I thought I used it to great effect in the in the spy game adventures, because what I did is I took everything that Josh did, but as opposed to doing it all at once, I actually created a table where all of the rolls would happen at specific times in the adventure. So when everybody rolled, I just wrote, I did that at the beginning. They did all of their rolls at the beginning. I knew when these things were going to key off. And then when that happened, then I gave them the prompt. So they rolled on a table for the prompt. They didn't know what the prompt was. They didn't get know when it was going to happen. But later on, the first prompt came in when they were leaving the tarmac or whatever. And then I hit the first person with the prompt. And I just said, oh, by the way, you're hearing this song. It's playing. It reminds you of this time. Tell us about the song. Tell us about the beat. Tell us what's going on with that or something to that effect. Please listen yeah. to that that AP episode to get better information because it's been a couple months, several months at this point. But And that went really well. Every character had one role. Every character had one thing that went throughout that adventure. And I think for me personally, that's the way I want to be using that style, which is take the time, adapt the tables. If I'm using a table out of a collaborative world building book, or if I'm building a brand new table for a game, a specific game, I'm going to figure out when they're going to come in. Everybody's going to roll. If there's a possibility that they two could come up very close to each other or at the same time, because I didn't have 20 different things that happened at 20 different times. I had 20 different things that happened at four different times. Yeah. And so it was about where people rolled when those things happened. Yep. And and I think that worked really well for me. So I'm utilizing that technique that Josh brought to my gaming experience, but I'm doing it in a way that really matches what I want to do, which is hit certain scenes at different times. Cause I was definitely going for a television show. Actually, I was going for more spy movie type feel where you're in certain scenes at certain times and there's not a lot of transition between those two scenes. So I was really trying to look for that. And I thought all of them all at once would make for a very long scene, which would, which would harm the pacing for what I was trying to do. So I put it together in that way. So it's just about finding yeah. again, your way, your style, but figuring out what techniques you really like from others and finding ways to incorporate them in what you do. Right. Yeah. And for me, part of the reason that that's complicated is because I run across between intense planning, lots of game prep, which is the way I used to DM and improv fly by the seat of my pants, which is the way I'm starting to have been transitioning for years to Towards DMing. So what it comes out to is I have a solid idea of the plot line built in my head and I have an outline with brief notes and the rest of it comes on the fly. So trying to incorporate the pre-gen rolled table for the collaborative world building scene into the way that my style of gameplay works, I haven't quite figured out yet. And that's where I get a little bit intimidated, but it's also just a matter of figuring out how it's going to work for me. Maybe what it's going to turn out to be is instead of having a roll table or a specific roll table, I have a side outline with some ideas for prompts. And I just go down in order for whoever goes first or something. Yeah. I'm not sure yet, but still playing with it. But that's a good, another good kind of thing to realize if you're out there and thinking about becoming a DM, but you're getting intimidated by all of what you're hearing us say. Like, like Lee Winnick is saying, being prepared for 40 things that could happen in four places versus 
30 that happened in two, et cetera, is that it seems like a lot and it can be a lot, but it's all about how you approach it and what you choose to do with it. If you're improv it can be very low prep. And there's some great publications out there, a whole series by The Lazy called The Lazy DM. Yep. That you can read about how to run a game with as minimal prep as possible because it's supposed to be fun for you too. It's not supposed to be a full-time job, but it can become that if you DM the way I used to, which is where yeah. I microscopically planned everything to the last possible detail. Yeah. And I think that's, again, one of those things that it comes down to storytelling style, right? It's like my style being more collaborative does mean that my game is a little bit more improv heavy because my way of implementing collaboration is not just, I don't want to minimize what you were doing, Lee Winnie, but by, by saying it this way, so please don't take it that way, but using them as like flavor elements within the story, mine are, my collaborative prompts and everything are much more integral to the way the plot is going to develop. So if you think about that when we first started the Candlekeep Mysteries, everything that happened in that first hour may not have had much to go ahead and do with that particular mission. However, it has now spawned a year and a half of other episodes just based on that initial interaction. And that was all totally randomized based on what the players did at the table. Somebody spotted a disaster off to the side. Somebody spotted the old man walking towards the caravan. Somebody... All of these different things set up the vines that we have now been plucking fruit from for a year and a half. That's if you look at like the spectrum, right? So mine tends to be more improv heavy because I take the elements that come at the table and I weave them into I weave them into the narrative that I'm looking to go ahead and tell. Another example of this is when we did the one where they had to go on the road from Candlekeep to Baldur's Gate and had mm-hmm. that overnight at the campfire. I had no idea what was going to happen at the campfire. I knew that that was going to be a collaborative world building session and I knew that all the players were going to happen. But the fact that you wound up telling a ghost story and that scared Sprocket and Sprocket swore that he saw something over in the bushes where I knew the were rats were hiding. Like I knew that they were there, but nobody else knew right. that they were there. Everybody else just thought that Sprocket was being scared of what's of something that wasn't actually there until the combat began. And even with, with Kess telling the story about these changing creatures and how they come in the middle of the night and everything like that, nobody knew that was going to happen. There was no, it was totally impossible to predict that Kess in that moment would get that prompt and that's the story that she would tell. And yet it fit exactly into where I wanted it to go. And sometimes that's you the know, magic so, Yeah, exactly. So did it go that way because because of a coincidence or was I able to go ahead and kind of like pick up on the cues of what was going on and weave it in that way? Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. That, that's what's so intimidating about your collaborative world building style is how you pick yeah. up all of the details from everybody's thing that they totally made up on the spot. Yeah. And not just for future tendrils later, but right there in the active session, yeah. weave it back in. Yeah. Masterful. Just have to say, well, one, one of the things I did when I created the table for that spy game adventure was I made sure that there were several things that were specifically flavor. All of them led to links to the greater mystery of the adventure and future adventures. While in some cases, the ones that came across as, oh, this is strictly flavor. And I will hit on the song that Benito's character, Mercury, came up with. The information about the production company, Buscanda, the Bump in the Night Records, that's a major thing in my game world. Those are things that are going to come back into play later on. And because I have a campaign that has titles for 20 separate adventures, and I have rough plots for the first 10 and ideas for the rest of the 20. I know where these different things, because all of the 20 items in there came from those titles. So each of those integrate somewhere into this longer story. So they're not just flavor. And while Glenn said, I'm not necessarily weaving it into that moment, what they bring up 
I took notes on so that it will be weaved into the stories that yeah. come up. Exactly. And that, so that's actually a much better way of saying it than I did. So I, first of all, I appreciate the redirect on that because I didn't mean flavor as in unimportant. What I meant is that because your style is so, it is a tightly knit mystery. There are a million threads in your story and the players are going through pulling a thread at a time until the ball starts to unravel. The way that you used that collaborative world building as exposition for the ball of twine that you had rolled in front of the six cats at your table is amazing. Mine tend to be very much like direct plot elements. I pull from them very directly. You pull from them very subtly when you go ahead and do that. And so it is, it's really cool to see that payoff six games later when like all of a sudden Benito's like, oh crap, that song is really masterful. And that's very much your strength is again, weaving, making that big old knot ball that the bulk of the game is spent pulling on the loose ends trying to figure out where the core is so i and i greatly appreciate that feedback it is what i try to do which one of you wants to be the spider and which one of you wants to be the silkworm because that's all i got for this whole week i don't (laughs) want to be the spider man i had like four jump on me while i was at karaoke last night i do not want to be the spider it was not we can both we can both be silkworms just like milling around in our dirt making silk seven points atop the crown the king wears in his keep Six, Six, the wretched witching hour tolling in your sleep. Five, the time the seas are right to sail out to the east. Four, the days it takes to tame the most savage of beasts. Three, the added content our campaign will bring to you. Two, the goals remaining, but those all come back to you. And one, one, one project that all our backers will remember. For our next book will come to you, complete this November. The hosts of the Tabletop Journeys podcast bring you heroic subclasses of the multiverse. Already expanded to include backgrounds, feats, magic items, and NPCs, we want you to help us make it even more epic with adventure hooks like only we can deliver and full-color, vibrant maps. There is one week left to back this epic campaign. Go to www.ttjourneys.com slash kickstarter for more information. Fair time, friends. Where legends await. I think that's a great segue to one of the things, one of the notes that I had on this topic, which is start from your inspiration. The reason I do that with plot threads is because the stories that I read or I've read and I enjoy are Tom Clancy. Little intricate details in a description come into play later or figure into a motivation for a villain or motivation for somebody who you can turn to your side later on. And I think about books like Patriot Games, the book and the movie in that case, books like Clear and Present Danger, more the movie in this case, because there's a great line where where Harrison Ford, his character tells him, he's, he tells the president, goes, don't run away from it. He's your best friend. He's been your friend for years. You've been very close and you're shocked by this. That There's no story there. 
There's only a story if you try to say, act like it didn't happen. Little things like that, which led into other conversations or the little conversation that the other government official had with Harrison Ford about, oh, you didn't get your get out of jail free card. You didn't have one of these right here. What are you going to do? That that it ends up being the motivation for Harrison Ford's character uh, as Jack Ryan to say, screw this. I'm going to go get this solved. I'm not going to have to run from this. I'm going to fix the mess. And that is the core of that character. And quite honestly, that's the kind of characters that we like to have at our tables. We want action-oriented or mission-oriented. We want people who are all in doing the thing. So you need them to have these motivations. So providing, whether it be through collaborative world building or plot details or whatever, the means by which they can say, yes, this is something I wish to do. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of the game. We've had conversations with other content creators where it's, why would that character want to do that? One, it's a game. The social contract should dictate you want to do the thing if you sit down and play the game. However, we don't rely on that. We try to provide narrative reasons for characters to want to do that. And we want to tie you into the story. Exactly. So that's my method of doing it. And it comes from those inspirations. It comes from my love of Tom Clancy. It comes from my love of the intricately woven details of Pikmin and Weiss. I'm in the middle of reading the new Dragonlance book and oh my God, it's glorious. All the way, the details that they're putting into their new book, it's taken me right back to being 13 or 14 years old, however old it was when I was reading Dragons of Autumn Twilight for the very first time. The first War of the Lance trilogy. Right there all over again like I hadn't left and I knew I was home with this book even though it's pretty deep into the book the descriptions were great up to then but I knew I was home when they did a bit with Tika and Karaman and Tika threatened somebody with her cast iron pan I'm like in In. In. all day in my opinion one of the greatest characters in the history of fantasy fiction is Tika Whalen because simply that is her character and her character has Mm -hmm. not Change. Mature. And that's where Rapunzel got it in the Disney movie, the way Rapunzel didn't come up with that crap with the frying pan. She got that from Tika. <laughs> Full stop. Yeah. And but the character hasn't changed her core. Like obviously she's matured, she has other responsibilities, there's other things going on, but her character didn't change after 30 years. Her core didn't change after 30 years simply because we need to put out a new book and yeah. they found a way to weave in this core character. So start from your inspirations. If it's I like this kind of story, find that kind of module. Or start that kind of game. I like the political games. I like the political intrigue. So I tend to start stories there. That's my bailiwick because that's where I go. That's my natural state. And as I was going, when I took over DMing, that's what I started with. It was being an organization or supporting an organization or finding a plot and creating a thread that the quote unquote main DM would do in a, in the main campaign at some later point. And I really found that I love doing it. And the players in those main campaigns liked being in these campaigns because it was a bit of that backstory. And again, that shared universe aspect really came through in those situations. Yeah. There are a ton of resources that we could throw at you to go ahead and say, oh, if you read this book, it'll make you a better DM. Glenn, you talked about the Lazy DM series earlier. There's the hundred, there's the the hero's hundred faces by Joseph Campbell, which is deeply based in every heroic archetype that has appeared in myth and how they're all similar and everything like that. There's these treatise on the thirty six dramatic situations, like all these things that we could teach you. Oh yes, if you want to make your own story, go ahead and do it. Nikki, you're exactly right. 
if you find a story that you are onto, find a way to tell that story. If there is a favorite episode of your favorite television show, find a way to tell the story at your game. Don't feel like don't feel like you have to absolutely come up with something that is a hundred percent original or a hundred percent of what you thought of. Because here's the secret: at the end of the day, is that there are no original stories left. Every original story has been told in it in some way or another. What is going to be the most important is taking little different building blocks and that already exist and making your story from there. But it's it's not like you can't don't feel like you can't reuse material that you are drawn to. Okay, can't disagree with you more. Not every story has been told. I get the cynical view. I understand the glasses half empty perspective, but Yes, the core plot lines, all right, a lot of it is repetitious, constantly. But a good storyteller takes an old concept, an old plot line, and finds a way to give it a twist. And you may not be the first one to ever give it that twist, but because you're your own storyteller, it will be your twist, which will make it a unique story. Every story that I tell is unique. No one's ever told them before. They may have told one similar, but no one has ever told the story I've told before. I'm going to expand on what Glenn just said. Every type of story has been told. This is my English major thing, right? This is what I went to school to study for, and this is the theory on writing. There are three basic types of story. Human versus human. Human versus machine. Human versus environment are the three basic elements of story. Every kind of story you can tell eventually boils down to that because anything outside of human experience, if you're talking about an alien, is an allegory for a human. You may put all of the near and all of the changes to change what that is because we are humans writing it. We are writing an allegory for humans. So it there, there are those three elements of story, if that's a given, because there is debate on that, by the way. What follows is this statement. What has not been covered 100% is every human perspective. That's what every DM brings to the table and is unique. So it doesn't matter what kind of story, what element of story you tell. What matters is your perspective. So sometimes I will tell the story from the perspective of the everyman who's trying to come up and fix this problem. Sometimes I tell it from the perspective of the actual person working from within the overarching institution trying to fight it. Sometimes it's from the perspective, often for me, because it's what I know from the soldier. It's from the guy doing the mission or the person doing the mission. Sometimes it's from the innocent bystander who has to rise up and do some. So I change my perspective around the elements of story that I'm telling. So I tend to do human versus human stories. And by virtue of that, I do organizational. It's about a government agency. It's about a a faction against another faction. That's what I tend to do. But I will change the perspective of who's the starring role. So when I craft a an adventure, I figure what's the perspective I want to do? What's the game system that's going to do this perspective best? And then I follow that. And then I go for my inspiration. Now, sometimes it's easy. If I'm inspired by a movie, I will follow at least that perspective. And then I tweak the other things. Like maybe the organization isn't as powerful, or maybe it's more powerful, or I'll treat the other things to make it very unique. But again, I it really depends on where the inspiration for that setup comes from. So to kind of boil all that down as as a tip for folks out there, three basic elements of storytelling, human versus human, human versus machine, and human versus environment. What you bring to the table is your unique perspective. So if you start from your inspiration, pick a perspective you like, build your player characters from that perspective or allow those characters to be built from that area. Or even better yet, 
let your players build their characters and then follow their perspective and let them steer the story. Then you have their perspective. If a bunch of your players make nobles, now you've got a story from the perspective of the nobles trying to fix the problem. A bunch of them build peasants, it's peasants. If they build foreigners who come here and just want to help people, that's what they do. But again, that's the beauty of the tabletop game. The perspective changes the moment the players get a hold of it. So like even with my Dead Ring game that I spoke about at the start of this episode, I was writing a a zombie television show that was about different things. I had 20 characters to be selected from. Some of them were families, some of them were military people, some of them were government officials. Everybody had these plots. And the idea was I just let the players pick these pre-generation characters and I let that dictate the perspective of that episode. Beautifully said. And you're 100%. I do land as one of those people that debates whether or not it can be boiled down that far to just three, but that's a topic for another day. I'm not certainly the first person to go ahead and have that opinion that the core theme, when you boil it down to like its urtext kind of theme, that those, when you say three, a lot of people say like that there are seven basic story structures, that all seven of those story structures have been told in various permutations throughout the history of storytelling. So I was a little surprised that that was controversial. And really where I was trying to go ahead and say with that is that don't, where I was trying to go with that was more specifically, don't be so hung up trying to tell the uber original no Nobody has ever said this or told this story in the way that I'm going to. Don't get so caught up in that hubris that it blocks you from being able to go ahead and do anything. I think that's where a lot of, that's where sometimes storytellers can get, can kind of get in their own head and be very intimidated even before they sit down at the table is they're like, oh, if I don't tell a story that surprises my players because they don't see it coming, or if I don't tell a story that they can't figure out, we play with great players at our, in our Patreon AP, nominal players. And I do not think that I have pulled the wool over their eyes in any of the sessions that I have sat down with them. Not completely yet. There are some times where I am able to obfuscate a little bit about what is going on to be able to reveal it at the right time. But that is a technique that has come from experience is more that comes in. I had just literally revealed a plot element, like literally just introduced the NPC who was going to be telling the story. It was like 15 minutes into the session and somebody at the table out of game said, oh, this is going to be the NPC that blah, 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 blah. And they were exactly right. That's what that NPC was going to be doing. And it was that moment of, oh, crap, what do I do now? You want to know what I did there? I told the damn story. I did it anyway. So it didn't matter that he knew. It didn't matter that they figured it out. It didn't matter that he knew that he was, that he didn't know that he was right. It didn't matter that I knew he was and he didn't. Whatever. None of that mattered. The fact of the matter is that I was still able to go ahead and tell the story. Actually be a tool too. Exactly. Yeah. Leading him to until you turn it on its head. Totally. Exactly. You can go ahead and lean away from that too. Exactly. And that's sometimes from an improv heavy game, that's a very helpful tool to go ahead and say, hey, if somebody's going to go ahead and throw that expectation out there, how can I subvert that while still being able to tell the story that I'm trying trying to tell at this session? So that's all that I was trying to say with that. We've talked a lot about telling your own story. We've talked a lot about crafting 100% your own original tale, which can be really intimidating. When you're telling that kind of story, some of that intimidation can come from, I'm going to ramble for a second, sorry. Walter O'Brien from Scorpion, the CBS television series from the 2010s. I'm watching it currently on Amazon Prime. It's based on a real life genius. He's trying to explain to Paige why he finds hanging out with her intimidating because they're in a relationship. And he's because I'm so worried that one day we're going to be sitting across the table from each other at dinner and I'm going to be droning on it. 
and on about something that I think is fascinating and I'm going to look up and see boredom in your eyes because that's <laughs> what he'd seen in every relationship he'd ever had before and he didn't know if he could take that from her. It's the same thing as a storyteller when you're presenting your own world because you've got all this knowledge in your head and all of these possible ways and then you're trying to tell the story to your players. It can be intimidating because, oh my God, that is one of my biggest fears is to be running on and on setting a scene or, exp or giving them some exposition on some lore or history and to look up and look around and see everybody half asleep and looking bored. It's a fantastic uh, show. I only watched the first couple episodes. It's on my long list to get back to. It's not a bad idea still to go the other way and take a pre-written module so you don't have to come up with all that lore yourself and you don't have to come up with all that plot yourself and you can take that pressure off of yourself but it's and it's similar but there's a different skill set and a different worry going on as you're taking a pre-made adventure and trying to bring that to life for your players on the one they did the work for you for all of the lore in the background but on the other you've got to know it well enough to bring it to life and spin it even if they go in a direction you don't expect them to without it's and try to keep it seamless without seeming like it's a cut and paste blocky book. Glenn, you make a great point. And I think I kind of, as we approach this, I think I wanted to start with a couple things and we got deep into some theory. So to bring the audience back into kind of where we are, as far as ways to approach this, I want to be a DM and I'm nervous about it type of scenario. I would say this one, start from your inspiration Two, lean into games you like. So if you've played a game and you like it, or you want to play a game because it really speaks to you, start there. Don't start with a game that you're not that familiar with or you don't really want to play or you heard was okay, but you, it's not really your genre. Start with the things you like, your inspiration and the games you're looking for. Josh? Before you move on, I think that that is a very important thing to go ahead and say. Notice that this entire time, we have talked about a lot of games that we have run, but we have never once said what game you should run. So find a game system that resonates with you. Find a game environment that resonates with you. All that sort of stuff is very important. These types of things are going to make you feel more comfortable running at the table. So anyway, carry on. Yeah. And then you get into playgroup, which we haven't really gotten to, but I think that's really like the third step for me when I was nervous is find the play group that works for you, group that matches your style. Talk about session zero. Talk about the social contract and what that means to you and your group. Because while we talk about it like this, like it's this overarching thing that everybody should understand, it can be very different table by table, group by group. So figure out what that means to play characters that work together or what amount of infighting would be okay versus play fighting. Because the crew of Firefly with some groups would be easy and fun to do, but it could devolve into mayhem with other groups right? DS9 or Babylon 5 could devolve, either of those shows could devolve in the hands of some groups, but it could be amazing in others. So you have to figure out those things that'll work for you. Then we get into, I say, start simple. We've talked about what to do if you're creating your own story, but really, we really should be talking about starting simple. And to Glenn's point, that means starting with one shots, modules, just do a thing. And honestly, that's what the time I was most intimidated by did at the beginning. He did modules. It was, he did a module. And then all of a sudden we said, what do we do in between the module? You go back to town. What happens in town? You get to know this NPC. And then he started building the NPCs in the town, but he started with the module. We started with the basic red box module. And then after that, we did the, and then after that, we grabbed some other one from another book and then keep on the borderlands or we're doing barrier peaks or we're doing some other thing. And, and they came out as a little hitting, Yeah. We just started hitting all these things. And they, we're talking back then the module books were thin. They were 20 pages. Once you took out yeah. two pages of commercials at the back of the book. All magazine yeah. sized. Yeah. yeah. They were not that, they were not that deep. No, but they were but, agile. 
But, but what it allowed you to do was place it anywhere and do anything. You could replace an NPC in one of those modules with the NPC that you had built from your town by the time you were three or four adventures in. Because you had a one guy who was there and you could just start taking modules and say, that's two days away from your hometown, your base of operations, three days away from your base of operations. So that's where I say start simple. Keep it easy. And one shots are a great way to do it. If you just want to get better at DMing, pick the modules that speak to you, but just run some modules here, there, and everywhere. They don't have to be a connecting story. Until you're comfortable enough to want to do that, then you can get into that deeper theory that we were talking about earlier and start getting into how do you want to construct your story and that. Find your style, play the games that you are, start simple, and the rest really comes right along. As long as you have a table of people you're comfortable with. If you're in the avenue of saying, I want to be a professional DM or I want to DM for complete strangers at a local game store, know your style and find a way to just describe that. Talk to people you have gamed with. They'll help you write that down. Meet cutes are great, but in the RPG space, you have to come with a, this is who I am. And that way people can say, yeah, I want to be at that table. I would not be disruptive at that table, or that might not be my style of game. And I think that would be a good way to, to get started there. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say on this? Just enjoy the game at the game and it's fun. I strongly believe that this is one of the greatest hobbies in the world. And it is one of the most creative endeavors you can do. Sharing your perspective. Story is about perspective because there are those three elements. I always looked at it as perspective. So when you share your story with me, you're sharing your perspective on the world. I am getting a piece of the universe I could not possibly have unless somebody is sharing that with me because I only have my own piece. It's when somebody else brings their story to my world that I now get to share that. And whether you do that as a player character at my table or you do it as a storyteller and I'm at your table. That's an amazing transaction of ideas and concepts. And I live for that. I love that. Even if it's a game with somebody who may not have a mechanic thing down all that, the rest of it, all that falls away. And by the way, notice we barely spoke about mechanics in this whole episode because that little thing is what hangs up a lot of people. I'm going to tell you, have your books at the side. You're almost guaranteed to have at least one rules lawyer there anyway. I'm (laughs) going to say there's one player at your table that thinks they have it memorized. Don't worry. You will be fine. I don't focus on the rules. I ran my dead ring game. There are so many things I did not follow the exact book on. and I didn't care because we were having fun. That's the name of the game right there. And And it's not just a really cool situation either. Remember, they give DM screens for a reason and that's because because we get to go ahead and hide the rules in our face so that we seem more confident at the table. It's really what that, that's really what it's for. They are cheat sheets to go ahead and keep that stuff because even even people who make games recognize that storytellers have a job to do and that is to tell the story. And sometimes in some systems the mechanics can get in the way of that. So don't feel like you have to Also don't be afraid Never to go ahead and use rule of cool. That's there's a lot of things that you can go ahead and explain away with rule of cool as the storyteller. And that's really that, that's kind of like the best the best part of the job. frankly right is that sometimes you can just go ahead and say you know what no this happened for a reason i know why that kind of thing that's storyteller hand wave yeah something else that's really important is a piece that we should throw out there for the players all of you folks out there that are looking for those dms who are posting looking for a dm we need a dm trying to talk your best friend into being a dm listen to episodes like this and realize they're not just for those dms out there they're for you too so you can understand what they're going through because running a game is big 
it's a lot and it is yeah. super intimidating. So you need to keep in mind as a player when you sit down at a table, because there's still a lot of us versus them thing out there. Like even us, we still do it. Like, I'm going to see if I can throw him off his game and get him, catch him flat and make him <laughs> speechless when he's running the game. Dick move, bro. Even when I do it, yeah, exactly. they're working yeah, hard. I was just saying that. Dick move, even when I do it. Exactly. Yeah, they're working hard to make a fun thing for you. And they do so much work for it. Lean into the story. Don't be disruptive. Don't yeah. try to derail them deliberately. Sure, challenge them. Sure, go the way you want the game to go because it should be a collaboration. But that's what it should be. Don't try to screw your DM. Try to beat him in combat. You want to come up with great strategies. You want to come up with great ideas. And if your DM's worth the salt, they won't take that as you kicking their ass. They're going to be like, yes, great job. But just remember, the person you're asking to sit down at the end of the table behind the screen, they feel responsible for every single one of you. And you have a responsibility to help make the game fun too. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just going to quit and they're not going to have a DM. Yep. And don't hesitate to volunteer if storytellers had a busy week and you know that because Look, most of us game with friends, right? If the storyteller had a really busy week, work was a bear, family member was sick, something went wrong, their car was down, but it's coming around to game night or whatever. Don't be afraid to say, hey, man, if it's too much to do that, I can run a one shot. Yeah. If you've got other DMs in your game, that's a great thing to do is yeah, have something. But we'll still get the gang together. We'll still sit down and do the thing. We can throw some math rocks, but yeah. I've got it. I've got it tonight. So you yeah. can recoup and, and get the story back on track. Yeah. And and not to go ahead and toot on horn here, but look at our field trips. Look at like Action 12 Cinema. Look at Babies and Broadswords. Tons of really light systems that you can pick up and play, including character generation in one sitting. Totally. Uh, really great tools. Even, even something, this is a little bit deeper, but look at like Aliens, right? Aliens came with pre-generated characters, a pre-generated module, came with all the dice that you needed. Everything was right in the book. And then if you like it, then you can go ahead and play longer campaigns and stuff like that. You could even look listen to a P of it to give you an idea of how Josh ran it to help yeah, you exactly. digest the material. Yeah. You can look yeah, for things which like is, that. Which too. is totally different than on some level. Again, it's kind of, that's actually a really good parallel to the first AP game that we played with Patreons because yeah, a lot of the structure elements that were in the book came up in that story, but it was also not the same. And so there's a lot of variation that you can go ahead and introduce within the scope of running a game, even if you're running a, a pre-canned module or something like that. So don't feel like you have to stick so strictly to the word that's printed in the book. Nothing is sacred. The only thing that's sacred is the experience at the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic yeah, organically absolutely. created episode. I'm really glad that we had this discussion because I think that this is really well placed. I think I think it's going to be important for a lot of our listeners who may be intimidated at storytelling and all that to go ahead and say that they shouldn't be. If you are, it's okay. If you've got questions about how to do something, where to find something, or a simple definition, just ask. Tabletop Journeys is always here. And even if you just need a pat on the back and somebody just say, you've got this, hashtag call your boys, TTJ. So next week, we're going to be getting into our Druid content here. We've got Scald coming over from Off the Queer Heroes to go ahead and talk some Druid and roll some dice for some Druids. Make sure you stick around for our Druid conversation. Our actual play, Faye, the game written by Jay Moore, is coming up on Tuesday here. Make sure you check out that and make sure you stick around for our Druid conversation next week. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, 
and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.